0: things. Uh, today I have one kind of final thought to share from this series of sermons I've done just over the last couple of weeks uh, called The Spirit of Easter, which as you know is kind of, or I hope you know, I've, I've kind of met that title as a little bit of wordplay. Uh, what is the spirit of Easter in the sense of the meaning of Easter, the purpose of Easter? But also this has been a search specifically for the role played by the Holy Spirit Uh, in the events of the Easter season. If you've been following along through these past few sermons on Palm Sunday, Good Friday... Easter Sunday, you know that the challenge for me has been that the stories told in the Gospels about those events, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, uh, they don't really include very much in the way of direct references to the Holy Spirit. And so we've had to search wider and deeper in Scripture to see how exactly was he at work in those events that we associate with the Easter season. And I hope you'll agree, more importantly, than just learning how he was at work, is discovering, well, what does that mean for us today? What are the implications for us uh, 2,000 years after the Easter story? So last week, of course, being Easter Sunday, we talked about the resurrection itself, which I submit to you very often feels like kind of the end of the story. You know, he, he, he rose, he rose, he rose, and that's The end of the Easter season. But when I planned these sermons, I saved this one additional Sunday on the calendar just so that we could discuss one more post-resurrection event. Because I'm convinced that the Easter story and certainly the spirit of Easter, uh, these things don't exactly come to a complete end on the morning of the resurrection there's still one very, very important chapter in this story of the work of the Holy Spirit that we're trying to tell. It reminds me a little bit of the movie Forrest Gump, which is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, and I, you know, it's, it's, it's old now, so we can talk about it. No spoilers, right? Um, but one time somebody asked me, like, well, so what's the movie Forrest Gump about? And I think the quick answer to that is, well, it's, it's the story of this man who's sitting on a park bench, waiting to go meet his long-lost, the love of his life, Jenny. And as he's waiting on the park bench for the bus to come, he tells his life story to the various strangers that happened by. That's the way I summarized the movie. I hope you'll think I did a, at least an okay job of kind of explaining the setting of the movie. Um, but it occurred to me after the fact that that's really not the whole movie. It feels like when Forrest finally goes and meets Jenny and finds her in her apartment, it feels like that could be the end of the movie because that's the, the moment that everything has been pointed toward. But it turns out when he gets there that there's still a lot of very, very important story to tell. And I bring that up today because, A, I love the movie Forrest Gump. But... B, because I think it's a little bit like that with the Easter story, everything has been pointing toward the resurrection, but then we get there and we discover, oh, there's actually still some story to be told, and today I want to tell that story. The Easter story certainly is the story of a Savior who defeated death. It certainly is the story of a Savior who couldn't be contained by a tomb. But when we arrive at the empty tomb, we find out that there's still some things to be told. And actually, it's Jesus himself who's the first one to clue us into that fact. He's the one that gives us the first hint that the Easter story hasn't come to its full completion at the resurrection. The Gospel of John tells us that on that Sunday morning, the first person to actually find the resurrected Jesus was Mary Magdalene. Uh, There are others who saw an empty tomb, but it was Mary who found him. Mary Magdalene found him, and when she recognized him, she was overcome with emotion, and she called out to him. But Jesus gives her a very unexpected response, and I'm gonna read to you here from John chapter 20, verse 17. In that moment, Jesus said, "'Do not hold on to me, "'for I have not yet ascended to the Father.'" Go instead to my brothers, and he gives her the job of proclaiming to the disciples that he has risen. He essentially deputizes, commissions, ordains Mary Magdalene to become the very first Easter preacher. Do not hold on to me. This is the command that he gives. Do not hold on to me. We have older English translations of the Bible that mistakenly used this phrase this way. that he said, don't touch me. Uh, we can say it with confidence. Linguists would tell us with confidence that's not what Jesus said. It wasn't about don't touch me. Like if you have the idea that Jesus was like, whoa, you know, can't touch this. That was not what was going on there. He's not saying, don't touch me. Uh, in fact, and I can't prove this, but I can tell you that in my imagination, in my mind's eye, Mary is actually embracing him as she calls out Rabbi, Rabboni. And he says, wait, 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 Mary, Mary, this is, you, you don't cling to me he says don't hold on to me for i have not yet ascended to the father go instead to my brothers and tell them etc 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 jesus is saying he's not saying don't touch me he's saying you can't simply stay here and hang on to me and why well, he explains it in, in, the, in the verse. He says, there's work, Mary. There's work for you to do. You have to go tell the story. And there's work for me to do, Jesus says. I have to ascend to the Father. I have to ascend back into heaven. You have a job, Mary, and I have a job, Jesus says. And this is our reminder that Jesus' story didn't end at the resurrection, it didn't end at the resurrection. There was still work to be done. There was still another chapter in this story. Back to Forrest Gump. If hypothetically the movie did end with Forrest running to Jenny's apartment and finding her there and meeting her in the doorway and embracing her, they probably could have rolled credits right at that moment and it would have seemed a very, very good movie. Millions of people would have gone to see it. Tom Hanks probably still would have been nominated for an Oscar and we'd all still be talking about our favorite parts. We'd all still be saying, life is like a box of chocolates. And we'd all be saying, Lieutenant Dan, Lieutenant Dan. And we'd all be saying, run Forrest, run. Because those are all great moments in the movie. It could have ended right there and we probably would have thought, oh that's a pretty good movie. In a similar way, if the story of Jesus were to end at the resurrection, I think it would be a fine story, but it wouldn't be a saving story. Let me tell you what I meant by that. As incredible as the resurrection of Jesus was, let's remember it wasn't unique. Other people throughout history have been raised from the dead, and the Bible tells many of their stories. Jesus himself raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised Jairus' daughter and others from the dead. Before the time of Jesus, in the Old Testament, we read stories involving prophets like Elijah and Elisha, both of whom prayed, pe- prayed for people who were raised from the dead. And then after the time of Jesus in the New Testament, in the era of the apostles, we have accounts of people being raised from the dead. And let's not limit this to what the Bible says. Let's just talk about real life and modern times. Yes, there are always skeptics, but we have plenty of stories of people who we thought were clinically dead, be it in a religious context or maybe even in the operating room who inexplicably begin breathing again. Inexplicably, their hearts begin beating again. But here's the thing, every one of those people, whether we're talking about in a faith-filled context, in a religious context, in a historical context, in a contemporary context, in a healthcare setting context, it doesn't matter, every one of those people eventually succumb once more to death. None of them defeated the grave. They only delayed the grave. They all end up dying again. Are you encouraged yet? You <laughs> never leave. Not Jesus, though. Not Jesus. See, Jesus' mission wasn't to delay death. Jesus' mission was to defeat death. And that's why his story couldn't end merely with a resurrection from the dead. That's why Jesus told Mary, you can't cling to me because I'm not done doing the work that I came here to do. I still have to ascend to the Father. Death wouldn't be defeated until Jesus ascended to the Father free of the jurisdiction of death. So without the ascension of Jesus, the Easter story would be nothing more than an inspirational tale. So let's turn to the actual story of his ascension. And let's see if we can do what we've set out to do, which is to find the Holy Spirit. In order to do that, we're going to have to turn the pages of our Bible to Acts chapter 1, which tells the story of the ascension of Jesus. I'm going to read to you beginning in verse 4. Speaking of the resurrected Christ, it says this, On one occasion while he, Jesus, was eating with them, his followers... He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then we skip down a couple of lines and he describes that. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses to the ends of, Of the earth. And it's as we read the following couple of sentences, the description of Jesus ascending into heaven, into the presence of the Father, takes place. So these are the final words of Jesus on earth. And there, right in the middle, the Holy Spirit at last, right? Finally, in all of these Easter season stories, we finally have a direct reference to the Holy Spirit. It's about stinking time. I'm just grateful we don't have to go any further this time around, right? So let's do this. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has always been a part of God's story. You know, he makes his very first appearance in the second sentence of your entire Bible. If you go all the way back to page one and read Genesis chapter one, verse one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the very next sentence, The Holy Spirit makes his introduction. He shows up for the very first time. And then throughout the entire Old Testament, up to and including in the time of Jesus, the Holy Spirit shows up again and again and again in opportune moments, often very mysteriously, often in very unexpected ways. And each time he shows up, he's empowering the people of God to do the work of God. But something is changing as Jesus ascends. And Jesus' last words clue us into the change. What he's saying is no longer would the empowerment of the Holy Spirit be a temporary thing. No longer would the empowerment of the Holy Spirit be only for a select few. No longer would it happen only occasionally or mysteriously without warning. Prior to the ascension of Jesus, you could think of the work of the Holy Spirit as, as, as a sprinkling. Just a little splash here and a little splash there. But as he ascends, Jesus says, in just a few days, there's going to be more than just a splash. There's going to be a metaphorical baptism, a plunging into the depths of the Holy Spirit, and everybody's going to be soaked. It would be available to all of Jesus' followers. This was something never seen before. And all of this is going to be triggered by the very final event in the story of Jesus, the ascension into heaven. So we say this, his ascension began a new era of Holy Spirit ministry. His ascension begins this new era of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let me be very clear here about what I'm not saying, because I don't want to be misunderstood. I want to tell you what I'm not saying here. I am not saying that God's nature or his plan changed when Jesus ascended. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit as a person somehow became different after the ascension, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit and Jesus were kind of like Clark Kent and Superman, that one had to leave before the other could show up and they could never be seen at the same place at the same time. I'm not saying that today. All of those things would be heresies. They would be contrary to what scripture said. And if I preached heresies, you guys would have to drag me out back and burn me at stake. So I'm not saying that, are we clear? What I am saying is that beginning with the ascension of Jesus, a new era of God's work began, and the Holy Spirit was the one driving the action. We actually, if you're interested, have a scholarly Greek word for this new era of Holy Spirit ministry that I'm talking about. The word is the eschaton. Perhaps you've encountered uh, the, the term eschatology which we talk about as a study of end-time events. Eschaton is this word that theologians use to refer to the end times of the world, to the final days. Sometimes people ask me what I think about the end of the world. They ask me if I believe if we're living in the final days of history. Pastor, is this the end of the world? Are these the end times? That we're living in. And when they ask me, I'm very quick to answer because I believe the answer is quite clear. And the answer is this. Yes, we are living in the end times. And then because I'm a smart aleck, I usually add, and we have been for about 2,000 years. Because that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the ministry of Jesus set the eschaton in motion. The Bible wouldn't use that word, it's our word, not the Bible. But it describes the ministry of Jesus as the thing that set into motion the final era in history. According to the ancient prophets, the calling card of this eschaton would be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The prophet said, and I quote, the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all people. Amen. The prophet Joel said, Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So, yeah. I'm confident. I'm confident that we are living in the last days of history. I'm just not confident in telling you how much longer we'll be living in the last days of history. But I can assure you that the Bible is quite clear that this, this is the eschaton. This is the end of time. These are the last days of history. Jesus has ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father. And as a result, the Holy Spirit has been poured out onto his followers. And that includes the young and the old and the male and the female. His empowering presence is available to all. And that's really why all of this Holy Spirit talk that I've been doing over the past few weeks matters. It doesn't help us, I don't think, to have merely academic knowledge about the role of the Holy Spirit or the work of the Holy Spirit as described in Scripture. It doesn't help us, I don't think, to know merely theoretically how he was involved in the Easter story. You're not likely to ever go on Jeopardy, and if you do, I doubt it'll be a category. Knowing only gets us so far, it never really transforms us on its own. No, there's a different reason to talk about these things. There's a better reason to talk about these things. There's a more important reason to learn what God's Word says about the Holy Spirit, and then once you've learned it spend the rest of your life reminding yourself again and again and again of what the Word says. And that reason is that the work of the Holy Spirit, as described in the Bible by Jesus, that work has a profound daily impact on the lives of people who submit themselves to Christ, even today. That's what the Word of God says. The work of the Holy Spirit, as described in the Bible by Jesus, has a profound daily impact on all who would submit their lives to Christ. That means them, but it means you, and it means me. Last week I told you that, in my opinion, the spirit of Easter, in the sense of the meaning of Easter, the purpose, or the, the, the significance of Easter, the spirit of Easter is this that resurrection is not an anomaly. It's not an inspirational story from the distant past for us to tell and retell. No, the spirit of Easter is this. It's a daily reminder of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. It's a conviction that we as followers of Jesus have that the resurrection ought to be our normative everyday reality. Now I say ought to be because... In my experience or in my observation, too many of us Christians are walking around with the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit in our back pockets and we don't even realize it. I'm describing people who love Jesus and their heavenly future is secure, but they're struggling through life in their own power simply because they don't know any better. They ought to be living in resurrection power but they haven't made the connection between what they know about the story of Jesus in the past and what God has available to them in the present. I had almost perfect vision for my entire life, right? I I, I just I was one of those people blessed with 2020. And then I got into my mid-40s and I discovered that I couldn't read the fine print anymore. So a few years back, I picked up a pair of readers over the counter at Walgreens and those really helped. And so for the last several years, I've been using my readers when I have to read. And then last year, I recognized that I was needing my readers for a lot more than just reading. I was putting them on and off and on and off and on and off all day long. And, and I, all the while, I'm asking myself, why God? Not really. <laughs> so last fall, for the first time in my life, I went and had my eyes checked. I made an appointment with the optometrist and had my eyes checked, and sure enough, they said, "Yeah, you need, you need some of those progressives, and thus, the glasses that you've seen on my face over these past few months. They just recently had to redo them because I wasn't happy with the way they had happened the fir- or the, the way they had written the prescription the first time. But here we are, and I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm being shaped. I'm a work in progress. (laughs) When I made the appointment with the optometrist, they said, do you have vision insurance? Now, Sue and I have health insurance that we've purchased through the federal marketplace, but it's a fairly basic plan. And so sadly, I said, no, I don't have vision insurance, but went and had the, the appointment with the optometrist and went through everything. And then when I was done, to pay the bill, and so they gave me the, the bill, and I pulled out my wallet Let me do this for you here. I pulled out my wallet just like this, and I opened it up and I took out my credit card, and I wept a little as they ran the credit card, and I paid, <laughs> I paid for my eye doctor appointment. And then it was a f- couple of months later that, you know, the end of the year is coming, uh, maybe six weeks later, and so it's time to redo uh, health insurance with the, the marketplace. And so I'm going through my forms and my paperwork again to renew our plan, and what do you think I discovered? Turns out I get one free eye appointment a year. I had no idea. I had no idea, it's too late then, but I remember when I realized, oh my goodness, I do have vision coverage. Basic, simple, but it would have helped And I remember picturing just in that moment of paying at the optometrist, opening my wallet and pulling out the the credit card, right? Millimeters, millimeters away from this credit card is my health insurance card. (laughs) Millimeters away from the card that had the power to pay the bill. But I didn't know it, so I didn't grab it. And I had a bill to pay. I'm going to know better next time. (laughs) But I had to pay the bill. I had to pay the bill with my own funds because I failed to recognize the power that was right there in my pocket. The power that was there and available to me. Now, now I know better. Now I know I can depend upon my vision insurance. Why? Because the card is in my wallet. And in a very similar way, we can depend upon the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus is on the throne we can depend upon the Holy Spirit because Jesus is on the throne. You ask this, you say, how can we be sure that the Holy Spirit is working powerfully in our lives? Why can we be so confident of his presence with us and his work in us? Pastor, how do I know it's true? If your answer to that question is because the preacher made it sound real good and whipped you up into a frenzy, No, you've got the wrong answer. That's not why we're certain. We're certain because Jesus is on the throne. Because he has ascended, we know that the power of the Holy Spirit, that the person of the Holy Spirit, that the presence of the Holy Spirit has been poured out over us, that we have been baptized into that presence because Jesus, the baptizer, is on the throne. Jesus' position on the throne of heaven is directly connected to the Holy Spirit's role as the source of power for every believer. You may not have ever thought about how those two truths are connected. But Jesus himself is the one that told us, hey, those are two sides of the same coin. If Jesus is not ascended, then the Holy Spirit is not available to us, at least not in the way that scripture describes. But because Jesus has ascended, we can be sure that the Holy Spirit has been given to us. On Wednesdays in my neighborhood, it's trash day, and so I've been in the habit for the past several years is Wednesday morning, just before I leave for work, I drag the trash can and the recycle bin out to the curbside, and I leave them there. Now, recently, Sue has been working on Wednesdays as well, and she works sometimes getting home after I do, which means when I arrive home from work on Wednesday afternoon, recently, the garbage cans are still on the curb, empty now, but waiting for me to bring back in. And then a few weeks ago, I was on my way home from work, and as I pulled onto our street, I could see on the curb the garbage cans were gone. They weren't. They weren't there, and I was almost certain that Sue hadn't made it home from work yet, and I was confused until I realized that God blessed me with a son. (laughs) (laughs) And Tyler had come home from school that day, and on his way in, like a good boy, he grabbed the garbage cans and he put them away in the garage, and so I pulled into the into the driveway and opened the garage and Sue's car was gone and the garbage cans were right there and I came in and Tyler was there working his homework and praying and singing and doing all the things that perfect children do. (laughs) I got you, bro. (laughs) Over the course of the next several Wednesdays in a row, it was the same thing. Tyler just got into the habit of grabbing the, the garbage cans on his on his way in and then one Wednesday I drove home and as I pulled under the street I saw our house from the distance and there were the garbage cans on the curb and I thought that dirty, rotten kid. He's, he's, he's rotten to the core, what's his problem? But what I didn't realize is that on that particular day Tyler had an after school activity and he hadn't made it home yet so I parked my car and I had to bring my own garbage cans in. And you can pray for me about that. (laughs) Here's why I'm telling you that story because there was a correlation that developed in my mind. If the garbage cans are gone, Tyler must be home. Got it? As I'm driving down the street and looking at the curb, I could figure it out. If the garbage cans are gone, then Tyler must be home. And what I like about that analogy is, if you're following it, in that analogy, Tyler plays the role of the Holy Spirit, right? I could be confident of his presence based on what wasn't here anymore. What I don't like about that analogy is that the role of Jesus is played by my empty garbage cans, <laughs> and it's their absence that lets me know. So let me try a different one. Are you, are you up for two analogies today? Let's, let's do a different one. I can remember as a kid coming home from school myself on any given day of the week, both my mom and my dad were very meticulous in the way they kept things in the house. They were very orderly. Everything has a place and every place for everything or whatever that saying is. That's the home I grew up in, everything belonged. Just so. But I learned, and I would bet if you asked my brothers, they would tell you the same thing, that mom and dad had slightly different versions about where everything went. (laughs) My dad, as many of you know, was a police officer. He worked shift work, so depending on what shift he was on, he might be around during the day doing housework or taking care of things. My mom worked a regular job, so sometimes she was home when I got home from school, sometimes she wasn't. It just all depended. Here's what I'm saying, when I got home from school at 3.15 and let myself into the back door of the house, most often I could tell at a glance whether mom or dad was at home based on where things were in the house and and what, what condition they looked at. Anybody else have that experience? You can walk into a room and you just know who's been there? Right, this isn't there anymore and so that means so and so is here, right, right? Maybe that that will work better for you than my garbage can story. Here's the point of all of those stories. We can tell a lot about who is present based on where things are. We can tell a lot about who is present based on where things are. And the Bible tells us that we can tell that the Holy Spirit is present based on where Jesus is. So every time we say Jesus is Lord or every time we say he's on the throne and he reigns in heaven. Every time we say that we are proclaiming and affirming that the comforter has come, that the Holy Spirit is here, that we have been baptized into the fullness of his power and we are his witnesses to the end. The Apostle Peter would explain it this way in the great sermon he gives on Pentecost Sunday. When the people of the streets of Jerusalem witness the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they say, what's going on? And Peter stands up and explains it to them. He tells them the story of Jesus. He says, this man who was crucified, that's what this is all about. But then in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, Peter says this, God raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. He doesn't just... Just mean the disciples he means all y'all in the city saw it happen It, it wasn't that long ago we are all witnesses of it but now he's been exalted to the right hand of god he has received from the father the promised holy spirit and he has poured out what you now see and hear what is all this holy spirit business going on the people asked and peter said this is because jesus is on the throne this is because Jesus, who you thought was dead, has now ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to be confident that the power of the Holy Spirit, as described throughout the entire Bible, that power is available to you. Your certainty in that fact doesn't need to come from a knowledge of Greek words like eschaton. It certainly doesn't need to come from faith in your own ability or your own worthiness. No, your certainty in that fact comes merely from the knowledge that Jesus is on the throne. Why is the Holy Spirit alive and powerfully active in your life? Because Jesus is on the throne. And here's what that means. That means that everything that we associate with the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, find me any Holy Spirit story you want. Everything we think of as it relates to the Holy Spirit, every one of those things is available to you. Yes, you can be baptized. You can be plunged into the depths of his wonderful presence. That means that the power for Holy Spirit miracles, the signs and wonders that the Bible talks about, that's in your wallet. It's part of your everyday life. That means the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we read about throughout the New Testament, gifts of teaching and of encouragement, gifts of evangelism, gifts of administration and health, all sorts of gifts of service, Every gift that the, the, the Lord gives us through the Holy Spirit, Pastor, can I have those? Do I qualify for those? Yes. How do you know? Because Jesus is on the throne. That means that the fruit of the Holy Spirit, as described in Scripture, right? The fruit of the Spirit is this: it's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Those things you say, oh, I don't know if I, I don't know if those things are true about me. I'm kind of a jerk. I say, no, no, no. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is part of your story. Why? Because Jesus is on the throne. Everything you want to read, everything you want to know, everything you want to learn about the Holy Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not for somebody else. It's not for somebody else. It's for you. Why? Because Jesus is on the throne. On that day, he said, I'm gonna pour out my spirit over all. I'm gonna pour out my spirit over all. He didn't say, I'm gonna pour out my spirit for the ones who've been going to church for a good long time, to all the works, to all the songs, even when Carmen sings a song we haven't sung in eight years. no, 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 no. That's not what he said. He said, I'm gonna pour my spirit out over all. Are you part of all today? Are you part of all? Let me give you one thought. In closing, another important, powerful ministry, work, assignment, responsibility of the Holy Spirit is he's the one who draws us when we're far from the Lord. Right. He's the one who draws us into that saving knowledge of of Jesus. He's the one that reaches us when we're unreachable. He's the one that calls out to us when when we can't hear, when we aren't even listening. He's the one that grabs hold of us when we're running the wrong way. He's the one that met every one of us in the filth and the dirt of our own sinfulness. When we were far from the Lord, when we were, as the Bible calls it, enemies of Christ, there's the Holy Spirit that grabbed hold of us, that quickened our hearts, that enlightened our minds and said, God saved you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you haven't had that experience yet. Maybe you sit here and you hear, you've heard properly everything that I've said, where I've qualified all of these promises, where I've said, for the followers of Jesus, for the followers of Jesus, this Holy Spirit power is available. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, that's all well and good, but let me tell you the truth, Pastor. It's not me. Because I'm far from the Lord. I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm far from the Lord. But I'm interested. But I'm interested. Here's the thing, though. I'm a little worried, I'm a little worried that it's not me. Would the Holy Spirit make me that promise? Would the Holy Spirit reach out to me in my dirt and in my filth? Would God extend his grace this far? I'm here to tell you the answer to that question is yes. The answer to that question is yes. You're going to ask me, Dan, how do you know? I'm going to give you the same answer I've given you all morning long. I know because Jesus is on the throne. I know because Jesus is on the throne. And he went there to pour out the Holy Spirit over all. And that means no matter how far you've run no matter how far you've gone, no matter how opposed to the claims of Christ you've been, no matter what your past says, no matter what your condition is, no matter, no matter, no matter, no matter, no matter, Jesus, who sits on the throne, says this promise is for you. This promise is for you. Could we close with a word of prayer together today? And as your heads are bowed, I'm just going to ask, if you'd like to choose today to trust that promise, whether you're talking about a promise of salvation, like I've just explained, whether you're talking about the promise of the power, of the Holy Spirit, whether you're talking about a new depth of baptism into His presence. Whatever it is, if you've stayed far in the past because the voices in your mind have said it's not for you, it's for somebody else, you need to hear the word of the Lord today. Say, no, 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 no. It was for you. Do you hear him? He's calling you by name right now. He's calling you by name. If this is a moment when you'd like to respond to him, I'd I'd invite you to just put your hand up so that I can be praying with knowledge for you. Can you put your hand up? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. If your hand was up today, the promise was for you. If you really wanted to put your hand up, but you chickened out at the last minute, that's okay. There's grace for that. Guess what? The promise was for you, too. The promise was for you, too. Lord, we thank you for your promises. They are good, and they are perfect, and they are powerful. And, Lord, you are for us. You are not against us. We have succumbed to the lie too often that says you are against us, that you're trying to smack us into submission in some way. But Lord, that's not how the gentleness of your spirit works. Jesus is on the throne and your spirit has been poured out over your children. We thank you, Lord, today that we can rejoice not only in the truth of a resurrected Savior, but in the truth of an ascended Savior who sits at the right hand of the Father, who has poured out, who has baptized us with his spirit such that we may know him, such that we may be filled with him, with his presence thank you for that today. We invite you to come and do your work in us. We ask that you would take our lives and use them for your glory and for your purposes. We ask all of these things in the strong, sufficient name of our Savior, our enthroned, ascended Savior, Jesus. It's his name that we pray and everybody says, Amen. 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 May God's rich blessing go with you. You are dismissed.